Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. And a very common thing in our lives, certainly in mine, and I'm sure yours as well, is that we get introduced to other people fairly often. Even this morning, there's a good chance that we could meet someone visiting with us. I, I hope I have a chance to meet someone. And whenever that happens, a very normal question will be something along the lines of, what do you enjoy doing? What do you do? What do you like to do? And whenever you ask a question like that, chances are whatever the answer is to that sort of question will kind of form what your ongoing relationship is going to be, at least how it begins. You'll probably hear something about hobbies or sports teams or family or what you do for your occupation, that sort of thing. But in the conversation of hearing about what someone does or someone enjoys doing, that typically reveals the ongoing nature of the relationship. For example, this morning, if you meet Will Witherington, if you haven't met him, if you meet him for the first time, and, and you just ask him what he enjoys doing, he probably will share some things about his family. He'll probably share some things about being a pastor, doing stuff outdoors. But, you know, there's more to him than just that. There are certain things that he does that define who he is. Uh, he is a Georgia Tech fan. Who knew those existed? But that, that's Will. That's who he is. <laughs> Whatever state Will goes to, if he travels there, what he does is he finds the highest point of that state, climbs that mountain, has his picture taken. That's something interesting about Will. He has this unique hobby. If, if he's ever offered fine bourbon, he will mix it with Diet Coke. He finds that that draws out unique flavors of his drink. <laughs> But here's the deal, when you find out about what someone does, or what they have done, or what they are about, this forms the basis of your relationship with that person. And the principle, this principle becomes hugely important as we look at our passage today. Our church, as you know, or you've probably heard many times, exists for the glory of Jesus Christ and the good of the bluegrass. For the glory of Jesus Christ. So it stands to reason that if, if what we are about is the reason we're gathered here this morning, I cannot think of a, a greater question than, what does Jesus do? What is he about? What are the actions of Jesus? If our relationship with him is based upon what he is about, what he does, then what are those things? If you're going to tell someone about Jesus, what are you going to tell them that he has done? Revelation chapter 1, we get a very clear answer to questions like this. And it's my hope this morning uh, that as we look at some actions of Jesus, that that will form the community that exists of our church. 
See, our relationship with him is based upon what he does and what he has done. Robert last week preached from Acts as he continues our study there. And we saw that the community has revealed in Paul's life. We saw the demand and the blessing of community. This morning, I want us to think about what forms the ingredients of our community. What really are we about this morning? And I suggest that if we aim to have community based on something other than the actions of Jesus, we're going to be very misled. In fact, we could miss out on his blessing altogether. So I want to mention three highlights here from our passage of the actions of Jesus. First, notice his affection for us. Secondly, his action toward us. And thirdly, his assignment for us. And these will all be found in verses 5 and 6. His affection for us, his action toward us, his assignment for us. And it's, again, it's my belief that a community, a church, a people who are keenly aware of the work of our Savior will be irresistible to a lost and dying world. All right, Revelation chapter 1. If you're not familiar with Revelation, let me very briefly put this into context. Uh, Revelation is an unusual book. It is rich, it is beautiful, but it helps to have a good commentary with you as you're reading it. Of the many things that make this book unique is that it contains its own title. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And revelation means in this context the uncovering or the unveiling of someone or something. It's the idea that when someone has been hidden, now it is being unveiled. And that's what we have is the unveiling of the person of Christ. Ultimately, we see here his nature, and then we will, in fact, see the nature of his return. But note, this is not for academic pursuit. The book of Revelation is about those people who need to be comforted by the promises of God. Those who need encouragement, that's what this is about. In the midst of a fallen world, as we wait, as we persevere, and we long for the person of Christ to turn, that's what this is about. So here in chapter 1, we have the prologue that sets up the whole book. Again, this morning, I just want to focus on verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1, and let's see these three verbs that Jesus has done. First, For the community of Jesus Christ is known by his affection for us. His affection for us. We have already sung about this this morning. The nature of this community begins and ends with the singular truth that we hear at this church week after week after week. And that is verse 5, to him who loves us. He loves us. We hear this so many times because the Lord knows our hearts need to hear this time after time, week after week, week after week. Please know this morning we are a gathering of people who are loved by a man. This man, Jesus Christ. Do not make this more complicated or more simple than it needs to be. We are loved by Jesus. Again, I know you have heard this so many times, but I urge you, I beg you this morning, whatever is going on in your life, to notice the tense of this verb. The other two verbs we'll see are in the past tense, but Jesus' love for you is not in the past, it is present. Jesus not only loved you in the past, he loves you right now. Yes, there was a time in your life, if you know him, that he initiated and he changed your heart to receive his love sometime in the past. But that love did not end on that day. 
It did not fade. His love is not like a bad romance. He is passionately in love with you this morning. You see, for someone to be loved, that person must first be known and known well. You see, our creator God knows our sins. Verse 5. That is those willful and deliberate actions and patterns which exist inside of our hearts and have been carried out in our minds and with our hands. He knows how we have chosen to rebel against his law, to go our own independent way in opposition of him without regard to him at all. He knows all of that. Our omnipotent God knows of our deeply hidden secret thoughts and attitudes. Those things in which we hope no one would ever know, he already knows them all. What scares us to even admit or to consider, he knows every detail of it. Our sovereign God knows not just our willful sin against him, he knows how we have been sinned against He knows how we have been the recipients of other sin and of their abuse. He knows what has happened to us. The heartbreak that seems too horrible to even mention. All that sin has done to destroy us. He knows it all. And his word to you this morning is, I love you. He loves us. Our Old Testament passage that Anita read with us earlier. We see, we see here that God's love for us was always his decision to give. It was never based on our merit. It was never because we were these lovable people, but rather he chose to initiate his love. You are loved by Jesus this morning because Jesus loves you. You see, this is what being loved means. It means to receive the affection and the honor from another because that person desires to give it. Period. So don't worry about your lack of credentials this morning of being loved. You never had them. You will never get them. You're loved by him because he has chosen to love you. But make sure we're all on the same page this morning. Being loved by Jesus is wonderful, but it is humbling. You're no better than anyone else. No, you are simply richly loved by Christ. This love is rooted in a promise made to our forefathers in the faith. It's not because of anything that you have done. You cannot mess up his love for you. It is current. It would appear that Hallmark makes a new movie every single day. It really is unbelievable. I've never seen all of one, but I've seen one, and it seems like I've therefore seen them all. But what is burning inside of our heart is that we want to know and believe that love is real. And to be passionately loved by someone whom we respect and someone that we desire to receive their love is something that we all long for. Again, I urge you to see you're loved this morning. Yes, you're loved in the past, but you are loved today. So if you're in a particular pain this morning, from whatever a fallen world can cause, and make no mistake, it's a lot, please see that Jesus has all the power in the universe, and he uses that power to pursue you, to remind you again and again and again, he loves you. 
He is in love with you today. He always has been. You have not, nor can you, destroy his love. He enjoys being in love with you. It's what he's about. So look around the room this morning. We are people who are being loved right now. We're not each other's enemies. We are people who receive the love of Christ. Again, let your imagination run wild when you are the recipient of love. You can enjoy the confidence that comes with Christ our King being in love with you. So first, you're loved. But secondly, the next ingredient of this community of ours. Notice what his love drove him to do. Again in verse 5, his action toward us. Not only is he in love with us, but he is also in love with us because of this action. And of course, that is found in the cross. We're a group of people known by the fact that we have been delivered out of bondage. That is our story. Our collective story throughout the ages and our story this morning is that the pathway by which we receive his love came to us through the payment of Jesus Christ's death to wash away our sin. Verse 5, Scripture says to free us from our sins. That, could, that freedom could be understood as being washed clean. What we were and what we are. We will never truly enjoy this community until we embrace our past. And that is we were stained. We were guilty. We were polluted. Our story is that we were slaves. We were captives. We were held by sin and all of its destruction. So when Jesus set his affection upon you, we were in bondage to a life apart from him. A life apart from his rest, apart from his blessing, apart from faith, apart from grace, apart from fellowship. Again, thinking back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, which we read earlier. If you remind yourself and go back and study Old Testament history here, Moses wrote these words to remind us that our spiritual ancestors that God rescued out of Egypt had been enslaved for 400 years. That is, they spent lifetimes... Of only work and no rest. That is a picture of a life in sin. That all you do is work for blessing and yet you never receive it. A lifetime, again, of no fellowship, of no blessing, just work and no reward. Isn't that a picture of a life of sin? God delivered them out of the waters through the Red Sea, delivered them out of slavery into a place of rest, a place to hear God's word, a place to enjoy him and his people, a place where sin and the consequences of sin are not the only theme of life. You see, we're people who have been delivered. That's our nature. That's what our community is about. When our ancestors in the faith pass through the waters of the sea, there's a picture there for us of the image of water cleansing us and making us clean. There's a beautiful image here of our baptism. And I want you to see and be reminded of how our freedom was purchased. Look again at verse 5 in the last phrase. Our deliverance, our freedom, our cleansing... 
It came by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has made atonement for us. If we were literally washed in blood, that would not make us clean. But when it is an atonement washing, we are more clean than we could ever imagine. His blood and his blood alone cleanse us. My study this week, I, I came across the Heidelberg Catechism and its description of baptism. And I just thought this was beautiful. It says, I am washed by his blood and spirit from the pollution of my soul. That's the action of Jesus. Because of the perfect blood of Jesus, our sin is gone. And our life, apart from him, it is gone forever. When Jesus said, it is finished, that life was over. Our community is now rooted in, we were a people who were enslaved, and now we are delivered. During quarantine, uh, I reread a, uh, a series that I've enjoyed. It's uh, Ken Follett's uh, Century Trilogy. I don't know if you all are familiar with that or not, but it's, uh, this particular book was a time period based on the beginning of the Cold War that led up until the current times. And the whole series, of course, is historic fiction, so it's not 100% accurate. But yet, it frames a beautiful pathway and picture of what deliverance looked like in that particular time in world history. But the scene that I've thought about the most, uh, and with the help of Google and YouTube, I've watched them over and over and over again. And that was the destruction of the Berlin Wall in 1989. If you're old enough to remember that, as I am... The Berlin Wall was uh, built by the Soviet communists to stop the ongoing brain drain out of communism into free West Germany. And sadly, for nearly 30 years, it worked. And family and friends were separated by this wall. Communism and all that that meant on one side, freedom on the other side. And in 1989, on a seemingly random night, in a somewhat mistaken press conference, it was announced that the travel ban between East and West Germany had been lifted. It was essentially the end of the Cold War. Again, you can go back and watch the videos for yourself, but East Germans left everything that night, everything behind, and they ran for the wall. And they ran and put holes into the wall that they could get through. 80s rock music sung by David Hasselhoff was blaring as they came over the wall to freedom. They were liberated. They sang, they danced, they cried, they celebrated because their past was over and now they were in the land that they longed for. The American television show Nightline reported that there will be hangovers all over Germany tonight, meaning that the people had longed for freedom and now they had it. You know, just like love stories, we love deliverance stories. And the reason we love that is because it's our story. Jesus has liberated us. He has freed us. Your freedom in Christ means that his blood defines you. His blood cleanses you. His blood empowers you. His blood gave you the spirit to enable, to hope for you. You see, you are permanently free to enjoy him. This is our story. You're eternally secure. You are loved by your deliverer. Our community must have the feel of freedom. 
That's who we are. If we have missed that, we've missed the actions of our Savior. What does Jesus do? What is he about? What does he enjoy doing? He enjoys loving you this morning. And he enjoyed delivering you from your past of sin. But thirdly, lastly, look at verse 6. And just notice his assignment given to us. We've seen his love. We've seen his deliverance. But now notice he has given us a royal assignment. He has made us a kingdom and a priest. You see, throughout Scripture, we see that a priest is one who is called into service to be God's worker. What you need to know this morning is that throughout the Bible, God uses his people as a means for others to see him. It's always been that way. It's an incredible honor for us. You see, when Jesus loved you and when he delivered you, he now has positioned you to be his royal ambassador for people throughout this world. This is now us. Make no mistake, if you've been loved by Jesus, if you've been delivered by Jesus, you're now important. You're important. You've been given a title. You've been given a role. From the Old Testament, we see that a priest had two primary functions. First was to make sacrifices, and secondly, to pray. Our great high priest, Jesus, made the ultimate sacrifice, and now he is praying for us. What are we to do here on this earth? We live sacrificially for others, and we pray. That's what we do. This carries over. Jesus loves you so much, he allows you to do the very thing that he has done. Do you see how important you are? Jesus' value of you is so great that he has given us the task of doing the work that he's involved in doing. You see, a priest is someone who is keenly aware of God and people and bringing them together. Make no mistake, you're not on the sidelines. You're on a team and you're engaged in the game. You're a player. You're active. Your role is to be an intercessor for others as you live live sacrificially for them. You right now, if you know Jesus, you are equipped for this task. By his spirit, it's what we do. We live sacrificially. We pray. That's what our lives, that's what our groups are about. That's what our community is about. You see, this afternoon, we can pray for our family. We can pray for our friends. We can pray for our church. We can pray for our country. We can pray for the world. We can pray for leadership. We can pray for the lost, the hurting, those in poverty, those who hate us, our enemies, and the list goes on and on and on. The best way you can love your neighbor is to pray for your neighbor. So here's the picture, I would say, for our community this week. Tonight at your parish group, perhaps. This week in a small group or in a Bible study. This week in a friendship or whenever. You remember as you gather together that your gathering is a group of undeserving former captives loved now passionately by a man who has made us royal and given us an incredible assignment to do. It's who we are. We are the fruit of what Jesus is passionate about. This is our community. This is our home. This is our life. 
Is this the Jesus that you know? If it is not, you will make up someone else. This is who he is because this is what he has done. It's what he's about. It's what he enjoys doing. He loves you. He set you free. And he has given you a royal calling to be his. We belong to him. We are the people known by his work. Jesus has done this for us. And we are his forever. And now as we prepare to come to his table, we are reminded that our community is what he says it is. And that he wants you here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would prepare us for the sacrament. So, Father, as we think of your word this morning and your promises to us, the fact that we can love you is proof that you have indeed first loved us and that you desire to know us and to form us as we have sung this morning to continue your work in us. So, Father, I pray indeed that this church, our homes, our lives, would recognize the reality of your great love for us in Christ. And you have freed us from our past. And you have positioned us to bring glory to you. Feed us now as we come around this table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.